And now, Brother Thaddeus Thump Nugget and Brother Roland Thunder will lay down the good word from the church under the bridge. Church under the bridge, located under the bridge downtown. Funky mother humpers will not be told to go. Hey, Faith. Yeah? Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? No. Boo. The late night fright begins now. Only on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. You're listening to WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Access Radio. It's the witching hour. Time for the late night fright. With your hosts, Dan and Faith. Hello, ghosts and goblins. Welcome to the Late Night Fright here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am your host, Dan, and with me, as always, is the very lovely, the very talented, everyone's favorite barista, the owner of the Cozy Cafe, Faith. You want to say hi, Faith? Hi, Faith. Hello, Faith. How are you today? I am good. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, things are always a little weird here in Cozy Corner, but I would like to think that this week has not been as weird as other weeks. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I agree completely. We do have a gateway to hell that is still (laughs) open. Um, It uh, was breached a few weeks ago, if you've been following the show. And we are still having some trouble with that. So things are, I would say, just a little more generally weird than usual, but nothing that we can't handle here. So before we start, we know that you have a lot of options when it comes to what you listen to. And on behalf of the both of us, thank you sincerely for joining us. Whether you're here in Cozy Corner or whether you're out there in the round world here in the States or over there in Europe, Thank you sincerely for joining us. We have a pretty good show tonight, I think, Faith. I think so, too. Do you want to tell them what we watched? We watched Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, the often imitated but never duplicated movie, Ghostbusters from 1984. So, like I said, it has been kind of a weird week. And, Faith, I know you've had a few little experiences that you really want to share with the listeners out there. Yeah, uh, I'm a huge, as you know, thrift store junkie. You are a thrifty gal, as they say. And I go in, I'm looking at the home decor, and in the corner, in the VHS section, is a man with very long gray hair, a ginormous bald spot, in his pajamas singing Huey Lewis in the news. What Huey song was he singing? Um, If This Is It, 
I think it's a great song. What was playing? Yeah, it's a great song. What was playing, and it made me giggle really hard. There was also people dressed in all sequined outfits. There was also a lady who smiled directly at me and then farted extremely loud. Are you sure it wasn't flatulous? It might have been. I have been having some trouble with flatulus. Uh, apparently, this breach, you know, he went away, uh, but he's back. And he, I think the problem with flatulus is he doesn't really have any friends and he's decided to attach himself to me. Uh-oh. And he, uh, he comes and goes at, at his discretion. And, um, I don't know. Maybe I need to just stop paying attention to him, but it's very hard to not pay attention to him. Would you like to hear? I got, I got some recording. Yeah. I was going to ask what's been this happening. was, uh, this was from a few nights ago and I would say right around midnight, maybe a little after. And I was in a coma. I was out. It had been a long day. And so here it is. So you're going to hear it. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Dan, it's me, Flatulus. Pull my finger! Oh, man, come on. What time is it? It's time for you to pull my finger! This has been since that door breached. Man, you have to let me get some sleep. I'll pull my own finger! Oh, it's gross. So, Faith, that was from a few nights ago. That has been going on every night for the past two weeks since wow. that door got breached. And thank you, Harrison Ford, for disrupting that seance that would have sealed the door but is wide open. And now I get to spend my evenings in the company of a fart demon who thinks I'm his best friend. So <laughs> thank you, Harrison Ford. Uh, speaking of Huey Lewis, Faith, you know, there's a new bar that's opened. Uh, it's right by your place at the Cozy Cafe. Uh, new Huey Lewis-themed bar here in Cozy Corner called Sports. And uh, I think they're a new sponsor of the show. I think we have a, a mm-hmm. commercial of theirs that's, that's going to be coming up. So... Um, but Faith, uh, you're such a good friend and we've been friends for many years now and listeners, I'm not going to tell you what she did because she's not the kind of person that, that wants to take credit for things. She's upset with me for even saying anything about this, but she brought me a treat because she knows that I haven't been sleeping well for obvious reasons. And Faith, I want to say on the air for all of our listeners all around the world, all around America, all here in Cozy Corner, especially those at the prison and at the Cozy Corner Community College, where we're still number one. I want to say thank you for these very delicious treats. You are very welcome. I hope to get more of them. So, like I said, we do have a very good show tonight. That wasn't you, was it? Mm Mm-mm. Come in. Hey, Faith, look, it's Jeff Fanghorn, WKMF News announcer. Hello, Dan. Hello, Faith. I see that you are eating cake balls. No, no, Jeff. These these aren't. These aren't. No. Faith, are these cake balls? No. no, those are cake balls underneath that aluminum foil. They have your name on them, and they say cake balls. Well, I guess you got us, Jeff. These, these, uh, these are indeed cake balls busted faith i don't see robert england around is he going to be on the show tonight 
No, not tonight. No, Jeff, uh, Robert's not going to be with us. These are actually just a pick-me-up. Hmm. Did you bring me any? No. We uh we thought you were off again helping your brother get that uh sports bar open up. It's called sports, isn't it? Yes, it's called sports. So am I to understand there are no cake balls for Jeff Fanghorn, WKMF Cozy Corner News announcer? That's correct. No, Jeff, I'm 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 sorry. And really, man, we're in the middle of a show here. We I know. this is very unprofessional. It's unprofessional not to give your colleagues treats. You haven't heard the last of this. Back to you. Wow, he gave us his sign off from the <gasps> news. He he went out of here in a huff. Maybe, maybe I should have given you cake balls here. Well, the the cat's out the bag. Yeah. Uh, they are delicious though. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you for that. And no, Robert England will not be on the show because we do have a deal that if Robert England shows up to be on the late night fright, Faith will sell cake balls at in, the Cozy Cafe. In the shop. In the shop. These are special yeah, these friend are special friend cake balls. And I want to say for everyone out there listening, Faith, mm-hmm. your balls are delicious. <laughs> we you. have a little bit of business to attend to. It's probably fortuitous that he came in when he did. Because, Faith, do you know what time it is? Is it time for the news? As always, the news. The Cozy Corner Society of Agnostics held their weekly meeting at the public library and once again could not decide on anything. They did pass a resolution stating that if Jesus was indeed divine and had also been a hipster, he would have turned that water into PBR. E. Buzz Miller, owner of Chicken Strips, a new gentleman's club that also specializes in chicken wings, announced earlier this week that he has decided to call his all-girl naked bar band ZZ Topless. Thaddeus Thump Nugget, the basis for the church under the bridge, located under the bridge downtown, created a small controversy at Sunday service when he arrived to play the Mass naked. Minister Apache Rose Peacock said that while that is in the spirit of our most revered brother, Flea, you put a sock on that thing. There are children present. Thump Nugget then proceeded to rock out with his sock out. And finally, we want to send our thoughts and warm wishes to Tilly the Terrier. Tilly is, of course, the pet of Igor Funkenstein, founder of the Cozy Corner Lentil and White Bean Festival. It seems Igor had a lot of lentils and white beans at this year's festival and went to bed bloated. Tilly curled up under the covers as she does every night. When Funkenstein wasn't snoring, he was farting. Tilly found it hard to breathe, and because Funkenstein had passed out on his bed at a weird angle due to a carbohydrate overload, Tilly was trapped. She did manage to burrow her way to safety at the foot of the bed. The vet says she's doing fine, and Igor Funkenstein said, I dealt it, she smelt it. I'm her pops, and she's my girl. Love will find a way. Faith, yet again, I have no idea what that man means, but that is the news. I think we have a pretty good show tonight. What do you think? I think so, too. We are going to be talking about the classic 1984 movie, Ghostbusters, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Sigourney Weaver. But first, we're going to take a break. And as always, before the first break, we are going to have our Booger of the Week. Why Booger, Faith? Why is it Booger? Why? You tell me. Is it because your uncle called it Booger when you were little? It is. He called the boogeyman the booger man, and thus 
any movie with a monster was a booger movie. And that's what we talk about here on the Late Night Fright. So we are going to go to our booger of the week and take a break. But before we do that, right before we went on the air this evening, I got a little bit of bad news. I lost a very dear friend of mine. And I want to say to her, wherever she is, thank you for the laughs. Thank you for always believing in me. Again, thank you for the laughs, Faith. She was a funny, funny girl. I will never listen to that Ben Folds 5 song called Jane again. And Jane, love and mercy to you and your friends tonight in the words of Brian Wilson. Happy trails, my friend. I love you dearly. We'll be right back. Butter of the week. He was called Onionhead by the crew, and while never given a proper name in the film, the real nasty focused non-terminal repeating phantasm, or class 5 full roaming vapor that became known as Slimer, is as synonymous with the Ghostbusters franchise as the iconic No Ghost logo. There had been stories for years among the staff of the Sedgwick Hotel about the gluttonous little ghost that would prove to be the Ghostbusters' first real test. They came, they saw, they kicked his ass. He would go on to star in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, appear in the 1989 sequel and 2016 remake, and is said to be based on the spirit of the late, great John Belushi. Slimer is our booger of the week. This is Batman from Gotham City for Welsh Jennings. Who is Welsh Jennings? No one knows. All I know is I'm a billionaire and they backed a truckload of money up to my Batcave and told me to do their commercials. That should show you how much money they're worth. Welsh Jennings. Fanghorn here, sports guy over at WKMF, and I'm excited to tell you about my new place. Hey, do you like sports? Sports! No, I don't mean those sports. I mean the greatest album in the world by the greatest band in the world, Huey Lewis in the news. Whether you're working for a living or too hip to be square, come on down to sports. Sports! Where the burgers are hot, the beer is cold, and the heart of rock and roll is still beating. And we don't just play sports. Sports! Oh, no. We play all of their albums from the 1980 self-titled debut to Soulsville. Sports! Sports! Where it's Huey 24-7. Sports. Sports! Where we're always happy to be stuck with you. Located on Guilford Road next to the Cozy Cafe. Sports! Hey, Faith. Hey, Dan. How does a spirit break up with his girlfriend? I don't know how. He ghosts her. Boo. We'll be right back. 
The Cozy Corner Community Theater proudly presents a production of Titanic, starring Faith, host of The Late Night Fright, and Bobby, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after The Late Night Fright. Paint me like one of your French girls. I don't know, I mean, they got all that hair up on their arms, it's kind of gross. Re-experience the love story that is Titanic, and know that your heart will always go on. I'll never let you go. You better not let me go! This water is frickin' cold! It's scoot over! That door's big enough for the two of us! What you doing taking up all that room? Titanic, a production of the Cozy Corner Community Theater, starring Faith, host of The Late Night Fright, and Bobby, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after The Late Night Fright. I'm king of the world! Whoa, I am way up high! I don't want to be in this stupid play no more! Hello, ghosts and goblins, and welcome back to the Late Night Fright. I am your host, Dan. And I am Faith. Faith, I have to say, I'm really looking forward to the Cozy Corner Community Theater production of Titanic. You've been working on that for a while. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. It has. It has how's Bobby been? He sounds like he's kind of kind of going off of the script. Yeah, a little bit, but he's having fun with it. <laughs> Speaking of going off the script, uh, the movie tonight, uh, a couple of scenes in this movie are, are definitely off script. Yes. Do you want to tell them what we're talking about tonight? We are talking about Ghostbusters. We are indeed talking about the 1984 movie Ghostbusters. And I'm going to tell you right up front, this is one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, it's amazing. And this is one of those movies we talked about Predator a few weeks ago. There's, uh, there's no line with Predator. There's no line with Ghostbusters. And the same thing with, with grown men. Well, just grown people. They light up when when you mention Ghostbusters to them. Yeah, I totally agree. And as we've established on previous shows, you are of a certain age. You are in your early 20s. So there's no nostalgia binders with you with this movie. Like for someone like me, I was five when it came out. Saw it in the theaters right. that summer of 84. So this movie has been with me my entire life. And But you come to it with a fresher set of eyes. Mm-hmm. And what are, what are your just general thoughts on the oh, movie? Oh, I love the movie. It's one of those movies that... I could probably play it over and over again and enjoy it every single time. We were, uh, as is our tradition, we go to Hooters before every show. We sit mm-hmm. in Bobby's booth. He was pro- he was not there tonight. He was probably off running lines for Titanic. I yeah, think I think he's going to be a great Jack. And uh, but we were talking about there's certain movies when they come on TV, you stop what you're doing and you watch. That movie. I know uh, you told me what yours is. What is your when the te- when when there's certain movie when it's on that you just stop what you're doing? We talked about this tonight. 
We did. Or maybe I mentioned my movie. Well, I think you did. You That's did. right. It's The Great Outdoors. Well, That's right. I agree with you on that. I could with, watch with, it every time. With one of the stars of tonight's movie. And we're about to talk about. Because I do have a movie, but we just didn't talk about it. Ah, what is your what is that movie? Step Brothers. Step Brothers. That's a that's a that's a good choice. I think the world stops when Step Brothers is on. Uh, another just absolutely quotable movie. But you you come to this without the nostalgia blinders on. So uh I do though. This movie has a very special place in my heart. But this is this is very interesting. I was just thinking about this. A lot of movies where you have that nostalgia attached to it. You watch it and you say, Oh, I feel like a kid again. I feel like a kid. This movie I've has grown with me, I think. And it's, and I come to it and, and see different things every time that I watch it. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's get into it. I think to properly talk about this movie, we're going to talk about four guys in particular. One of them very in depth, but these four men, uh, have really kind of defined comedy. Uh, for the past 45 years or so. And I call them the quotables. That's what, that's what I'm calling them. Um, you know, we have our Mount Rushmore and Mount Gushmore. These guys, I'm going to call the quotables because I think every movie that they, that they're remembered for, there's, there's at least a dozen lines yeah. that you can quote from, uh, from those movies. So these four guys are the director of this thing, Ivan Reitman, uh, the star Bill Murray. One of the screenwriters and another actor in the movie, Harold Ramis, and the brainchild, the brain trust, I should say, of this whole thing. Uh, he's a writer. He's an actor. He's a musician. His name is Dan Aykroyd. And I think to properly talk about this thing, we need to talk about Dan Aykroyd. Now, Faith, what do you know about Dan Aykroyd? I really don't know too much about him, actually. He is uh, He's a very interesting guy. He grew up in Canada. And this all hatched from his, uh, I don't want to call it an obsession, but he has a really healthy respect and, uh, he really, he's really into the paranormal and he's really into UFOs. He's really into some out there things and he is genuinely into it, uh, from the fun end of it and from the scientific, scientific end of it. And, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about spiritualism and do you know anything about that? Spirit, too, uh, you know. Spiritualism uh, was a movement in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And basically, these people would have seances and they believed that you could contact ghosts. They believed that there was some form of consciousness on the other side and that you could contact them and you could receive messages. They could speak back to you, communicate things that you needed. So, you know, nothing I don't know. I guess for some people that might be a little out there. I, it's I, not too crazy. I tend to believe that uh, there is some form of consciousness on the other side, that there's some kind yeah. of energy over there. But that idea is for another show. We'll, we'll you know, as we'll they said, in, uh, well, it wasn't Step Brothers. It was the other guys. We'll save that for the Bed Bath and the Beyond, the, the way beyond. <laughs> um, but Dan Aykroyd, uh, he, like I said, he's, he's kind of a nut. A little he, bit. He really but is kind of a nut. He's awesome. He is awesome. <laughs> and for any of you out there, if you've never seen this thing he did around 2005, 2006 called Dan Aykroyd Unplugged on UFOs, it will change your life. It is an hour and a half of him just sitting and talking about UFOs. And he knows what he's talking about. He has, Sounds pretty interesting. He has facts and figures. Um, 
and talking about the spiritualism, his great grandfather was a dentist in Canada and he had a very long correspondence with probably the most famous spiritualist of all time. And that is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories and faith. You're a fan, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I like old Sherlock. She really likes it when I wear my Sherlock aftershave. And for any of you out there, any of you men looking for a good aftershave, I'm not getting money off of this. Check out the West Coast Shaving Sherlock aftershave. It is amazing. Yeah, it smells awesome. It is awesome. But as Bobby, as our good friend Bobby would say, I digress. Moving on. So uh, Dan Aykroyd uh, was a member of the Second City. And the Second City, for those of you who don't know, look that up. Second City is world famous. They have locations, I think, all over the world now. But uh, they, they were mainly based in Chicago for a lot of years. And it's an improv acting group. And Second City and the Lampoon from Harvard, that kind of fed into what became Saturday Night Live. And that is where Dan Aykroyd really kind of became famous here in the States. And um, so, uh, Faith, I know you're a fan of Dan Aykroyd. I am. So now that I've told you these things about him, mm-hmm. this this backstory that is, uh, I think, kind of odd and eccentric and unique and definitely him. Yeah. <laughs> um, what... Uh, what does that do as far as your opinion of him? Uh, that, does that, when, when I said all those things, did you go, oh, yeah? Yeah. But, but a part of me, too, is kind of like, okay, you know, maybe I never really would have guessed that in a way, but I can kind of see it, but I still think he's awesome. I, I think, I think he's absolutely. I think that makes him cooler in a way. I, I, I think he's absolutely amazing. And I just want to say, um, like on a personal note, he is one of the two reasons why I wanted to get into writing. He's what got me into, oh, there's actually a craft of it. And uh, it was growing up and knowing that he wrote Ghostbusters and uh, and all the other projects that he wrote. And he wrote some classic bits on Saturday Night Live when he was on the show in this, with the first, first group of people. And uh, as far as the Saturday Night Live thing goes, I find this really interesting. He was voted number five all time. He was voted the number five uh, top cast member of that show by Rolling Stone. And what they said was, is that they had to put him at number five and he's never been imitated on that show because no one can do what he does. (laughs) And I think, I think that's, um, I think that's a pretty fair statement. Yeah, I think so too. So, so we're talking, uh, we're talking about Dan Aykroyd and kind of getting some, some specifics here. Uh, You're a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan. What are some of your favorite things that, that he has done? I like everything he's done. Um, Want to talk about movie-wise? Sure. Let's talk about movie-wise. I wise. do love The Great Outdoors. I do love him in Ghostbusters. I think, okay, I'll pull this one back out. I like him in Christmas with the Cranks. Yes, Christmas <laughs> with the Cranks has become a running thing yes. here for the past two weeks on the show. And he's been... In, I want to say, four or five movies with our old buddy from last week, Jamie Lee Curtis. And I said it last week. I'll say it again. She said he's the best on-screen kisser that she's worked That's with. Right. So um, <laughs> women love a funny man. They just they love a funny man. I, I think he's absolutely wonderful. I think um, he he has a definite energy to him that yeah. he, he brings to things. And he definitely brings some of that to this movie well what's your favorite movie um i i'm like you i like a whole bunch of them but i'm definitely i'm besides this movie i'm definitely in love with the blues brothers i've been 
I knew love, you were going to see that. I've been in love with the Blues Brothers <laughs> for a long time. And uh, I, I want to say here on the show, a big thank you to him because it's really uh, through him that I got exposed to a lot of American soul music. Uh, I'm a bass player and through him and that band. And, and by the way, people, that band, it's not a joke. That is an amazingly good band. Go back and listen to those original albums that he uh, that he cut when Belushi was alive. And that is some of the best American music you will ever hear being played by the people who played on some of those original albums. But it was through him I got into those acts like Otis Redding and Sam and Dave. But I got into a bass player named uh, Donald Duck Dunn and Ghosts and Goblins. Go check him out. You need to know who he is. He's in the movie. He's wonderful. I don't want to go down that path because we'll be here for three hours <laughs> yes. if I start talking about him. But he's, uh, I kind of look at him in a lot of respects, at least for myself. He's like this kind of cultural gatekeeper. He introduced me to, oh, there's comedy writing. Oh, there's, there's this music thing. And you can do all of these things and you can do them well. You don't have to pick just one. Mm-hmm. And I did, I do remember hearing him say years ago that on his passport for occupation, he has listed writer. So that is where, that's where his heart is. But uh, I think he's very good at all of them. I think he's immensely talented. And this movie, his brainchild, I think really kind of helps define who he is (laughs) and, and where he comes from. So there's a scene in the movie where uh, Dr. Peter Vinkman, played by Bill Murray, says that Dr. Ray Stans, played by Dan, is the heart and soul of the Ghostbusters. He is the heart and soul of the Ghostbusters yes. on and off screen. So if you excuse me, I'm just going to flip my note page here. You might hear that Faith is laughing at me. I was trying to negotiate that. Um, so to, to we're going to get into the movie here. So to really talk about this movie. We also have to talk about a guy who's not with us anymore, and this is very sad, and that is uh, Dan Aykroyd's uh, comedic partner, John Belushi, who was another member of the original Saturday Night Live cast. And he's a guy, uh, for those of you out there listening, if you're of a certain age, if you're in that upper bracket, you definitely remember who he is. If you're If you're younger, you may not know who he is. If you don't know who he is, please, on behalf of the both of us, Go check him out. Yes. You need to know who he is. Uh, you might know that his brother, Jim Belushi's still out there. And Jim is great. John was amazing. Oh, yeah. And uh, so let's talk about John Belushi. John Belushi is, uh, my sister told me this the other day, that he is the most famous Albanian American in history. Hmm. And his buddy, Dan Aykroyd, called him the Albanian Oak. Um, That's cool. He, uh as I said, he was an original Saturday Night Live, not ready for primetime player. He was the animal of the animal house. Faith, I know you like that movie, don't you? <laughs> yes. Uh, he was Joliet, Jake Blues. And I do believe in my heart of hearts that John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd were soulmates. Uh, there's something absolutely magical yeah. about them. Uh, they're one of the great comedy teams of all time. And I think it's a shame that we don't have more from them. I totally um, agree. And what we have is gold, is absolutely gold. And when we're talking about Belushi, what you need to keep in mind is he's been dead since 1982. He left us four years of television and seven movies. That's it. That's all we have from John Belushi. And we're still talking about him. He was an influence on Chris Farley. Um, 
I, I, I think they were abs- both of those guys absolutely hysterical. Um, but this movie, and the reason we're talking about John is that this movie was originally written for him. And I told you that this week when we were getting ready to, to watch and talk about this movie. And let's go ahead and let's go ahead and talk about that. All right. What do you think this movie would have been with John Belushi in it? Oh, I, I feel like I pictured him in it. If that makes any sense. I feel like he was kind of there in spirit form throughout this whole movie to me. I, I, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely think that he was, he was here in spirit form. Uh, and, and he literally kind of was in spirit form right. because uh, do you want to tell him? Slimer was basically. Ackroyd. Yeah. yeah. Ackroyd said that Slimer the was spirit. a spirit of John Belushi. And uh, of course I know ghosts and goblins. You've seen the movie, you know, Slimer's a glutton. So uh, I think I think that might tell you one or two things about about uh, about John and and like I said I absolutely adore the man. Um, we uh, you're as as and not to harp on this but you're kind of new to some movies and you're coming mm-hmm. and you've kind of uh, seen some older classics in the past couple of years for the first time and mm-hmm. we watched Animal House together. Yes. I showed you that movie. It was probably about Thank a year you ago. For and, that. <laughs> and you're very welcome. And you know, we don't need to get into too many specifics, but just kind of overall general impressions of the movie and then him in no, the, that movie. The movie's incredible, but he just brings it to a whole new level. He's hilarious. And and you mentioned something, you noticed it uh when we were watching it that he's essentially silent in that movie. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Belushi, Belushi was all eyebrows and, yes. and, and he was a, he was like a walking cartoon and he had, oh, yeah, that. exactly. And, uh, and he was very brilliant too, because he was so big, but he, he wasn't, a, he was chunky, but he wasn't right. obese, but he was so graceful. And if you watch him, watch him dance with the blues brothers band, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing doing the backflips. And he was, he was a hell of an athlete and a hell of a dancer. And, I know you absolutely fell in love with him that oh, night. I did. And if I if I recall correctly, he uh we finished Animal House and we put in uh the best of John Belushi on Saturday Night Live yeah, and, went, we did. <laughs> and we did a two for a Belushi and but you you absolutely fell in love oh, with him, him and 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 you can see his genius, yeah. his his the brilliance and the sweetness. He had a real sweetness about him. And uh even even when um even when he's playing the animal Bluto, it, yeah. you know, at the center of that, there was a sweetness to Bluto. Yeah, it was shenanigans. Yeah. It was sweet. It was um, raunchy and crude, but <laughs> but always kind of sweet. And uh, so this movie, though, this uh, the role of Peter Vinkman was written for John Belushi. And you say you can see it. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see it. And the scene that I can see it the most in is when he's in the apartment with uh, Sigourney Weaver. I could see Belushi <laughs> pulling that off right there. What's weird is. I'm trying to remember exactly which scene it was. It was, I think, right before they encountered Slimer. And there was a moment you see somebody's eyes. Right. I don't know who it was. I can't think of who it was. But mm-hmm. for a split second, I was like, that that, that was John. Like, it just looked just like him. And I look, pictured yeah. him in that. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I could have seen him in this. I, sure. uh, and listen, I have no complaints with the movie that we have. Oh, Absolutely yeah. not. I'm not taking anything away from nope. From Bill Murray, uh, I just there's a part of me that just really would like to see that movie and, and a B them and uh, he was he was wonderful. Uh, God bless you, John. Rest in peace yes. wherever you are. Um, so his death changed things, and Dan Aykroyd was actually writing the movie when he got the call that John died. Um, 
and raced over to see his, uh, his wife, Judy, to tell her before she heard it on the radio. And, uh, I have a quote that Aykroyd said uh, about that. And we were talking about spiritualism and ghosts and John and friendship. And this is what he said about his buddy, John. Uh, well, first off, the other thing that he said was John was a good man and a bad boy. <laughs> Again, there's another one that puts him, puts him uh, in perspective. Uh, but this is what Dan Aykroyd said. Uh, you get a sense that we do meet those that have gone before and we meet them in the form that we knew them. And they meet us in the form that they knew us. And just for a while, not for forever, not for eternity, there is a reunion there. And it's going to be one rocking night. Wow. I think it's beautiful. It is. Uh, there was a lot of love between those guys. I know. And so his buddy's death necessitated that they recast. But also what was going on here, too, is they were really working this movie up. And the original idea, uh, Ivan Reitman, the director, said that Dan Aykroyd's original idea in 1984 dollars would have cost about $300 million. <laughs> so, you know, close to a billion dollars today. And, uh, and it involved uh, space and the future and time travel and, and ghosts and aliens and interdimensional travel. Very that. Aykroydian things, <laughs> you know. Dan Aykroyd is a big idea guy. I don't mean like, I mean, he just has these big ideas. And so Ivan Reitman uh, loved the idea. And the thing that's at the center of this from the beginning is that these guys are janitors. <laughs> is that these guys are just just like exterminators, janitors, all in a day's work. Nothing really phases them. Um, that idea was there at the beginning. That's what got this movie sold. And Ivan Reitman then kind of went on to add that he wanted to really see how they form the business. And that then starts to lead into what we have. And Dan Aykroyd famously, when he wrote the blues brothers, uh, admitted that he had never written a long form script before. For those of you out there who don't know, one page of a script equals about one minute of a screenplay. It's kind of a rough estimate. It usually works out that way. Dan Aykroyd's original script before it was edited for the Blues Brothers filled a phone book. <laughs> He's a man of big ideas. So what they did was they uh, Ivan Reitman got another wonderful writer in there by the name of Harold Ramis. And Harold Ramis, uh, one of his first jobs, uh, he worked for Playboy magazine. He edited jokes. So now you've got this really smart guy who knows how to edit coming in to work with Dan Aykroyd on this script. And Harold Ramis wrote animal house. All of these guys worked together at some, sometime in the past. And uh, I want to say this about this movie. This is their victory lap. This mm -hmm. to me is the peak of this mountain for second city for uh, those comedy movements that were going on at that time. Uh, for Saturday Night Live, this is, it didn't get any bigger than this. Mm -mm. This is a big budget comedy that is very funny. It's got effects and is just awesome. I know. So, all right, ghosts and goblins, we are going to take a very short break. But when we get back, we're going to talk about the other quotables. And that's going to be Harold Ramis, Ivan Reitman, and a guy I think you might know who he is. Faith, you know who, I know who, you know who Bill Murray is. Hmm. Name I sounds familiar, right? All right, Maybe. we will see you on the other side. Mm -hmm. 
This is Jeff Fanghorn with your WKMF Cozy Corner News Update. Screw this poppycock. Faith made cake balls. I see them. They're here in the studio. She said she would only make them if Robert England came on the show, and I don't see Robert England. Cake balls are in the studio now, and I'm calling on you, Cozy Corner, to come down here and forcibly take them from Dan and Faith. These cake balls have led to many miserable days here in Cozy Corner. Many dark days indeed, and I say it's time we got a little light. It's time we got our satisfaction, Cozy Corner. So meet me, Jeff Fanghorn, WKMF Cozy Corner News Update guy, down here at the station, and we'll take them from Dan and Faith. And be sure to go to my brother Champ's new place, Sports. Sports! Welcome back, Ghosts and Goblins. We are talking about the 1984 classic movie, Ghostbusters. I am your host, Dan. And I am Faith. And we just finished talking about Dan Aykroyd and Faith. I would say that the consensus here is he is eccentric. Mm -hmm. He is a little nutty. Yeah. And kind of awesome. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So let's talk about another awesome guy at the heart of this thing. Harold Ramis. Faith, you know who Harold Ramis is? Yeah, sure. He played Dr. Egon Spengler in the movie and co-wrote it with Dan. And he is also responsible for some really great comedies. And let's go ahead and let's let's tell him what those are. He wrote Animal House. Okay. That's Hall of Fame right there. There you go. He also wrote and directed Caddyshack. Okay. He directed National Lampoon's Vacation. He co-starred in Stripes with Bill Murray, which was also directed by Ivan Reitman. He wrote maybe the greatest comedy of the past 25 or 30 years, Groundhog Day, Mm -hmm. starring Bill Murray, the great existential comedy. And he also was uh, wrote and directed a movie called Multiplicity, starring one of our favorites, Michael Keaton, who's in a movie I think we're going to be talking about coming up soon here. I think so. So Harold Ramis, a great writer, director, and from what I understand, a very nice man on top of it. And he, uh, as I said, he edited jokes for Playboy. That was his first professional gig. He also, and this is really funny in doing research on him, one of his first jobs, professional jobs, he worked in a mental institution in St. Louis, and he (laughs) said it prepared him for dealing with actors. (laughs) Not only dealing with actors, but uh, also just with people in general. And Faith, if he was here, uh, he might have an idea about how to deal with some of the nuttiness that we we deal with here. And he could uh, direct you at the Cozy Corner Community Theater. That'd be awesome. Yes. He... he also directed several episodes of The Office, uh, and I texted yeah, that to right. you this week, and uh, we're both big fans of that show. Yes. And uh, he uh, he also did some bit parts in, in other movies. He was in the As Good As It Gets movie with uh, Jack Nicholson. He played the doctor in that movie. And he was just a really genuinely warm and funny guy, and I think a real professional writer. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think of him. And... Uh, as again, as I said, we, we keep going back to Animal House because it's kind of a linchpin with these guys. But uh, uh, Animal House 
is definitely Hall of Fame. I think this just makes it a unanimous vote right in Ghostbusters. And then the other guy at the heart of this uh, behind the scenes is Ivan Reitman, and he was a producer on Animal House. He also uh, is a director of note, directed this, Meatball, starring Bill Murray. He directed Stripes. He directed Twins with our old friend Arnold Schwarzenegger. Directed the movie Dave with Kevin Kline and Sigourney Weaver. And he also directed a movie everybody out there needs to see called Draft Day with Kevin Costner. And it is just a really wonderful movie. That is my uh, non-horror recommendation for the week. Go check out Draft Day after you watch all the John Belushi that you can. Um so he uh he was he's a Canadian like Dan Aykroyd and it was he that brought Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd together and contributed the idea of kind of grounding this movie with the business uh story. But uh as we said Belushi died, they had to recast, they looked at a couple of people, but there was always one guy that they were looking at. And Faith, tell them who that guy is. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Uh, if you don't know who Bill Murray is, you probably haven't been paying attention, uh, for the last couple of years. He's, uh, he is, uh, he was not in the very, on the very first year of Saturday Night Live, but he came in the second year, uh, he replaced Chevy Chase and he's very funny. Mm -hmm. He's just a very funny guy. And he's kind of become this pop culture figure. He, he he's become this mythological cross-generational guy. Old people love him. Millennials love him, you know? Uh, everybody in between, he's had a long career. He's worked the entire time. He's an Oscar nominee. So is Dan Aykroyd, uh, for, for driving Miss Daisy, but, uh, Bill's an Oscar nominee. What do you, what do you think of Bill? I like him. I think he's strange. If that he's, he's strange. strange. He's very strange. He, uh, I don't think there's anybody that does deadpan smarmy like Bill Murray. (laughs) He has it down to a real, real art. And, uh, and there's something really likable about him too. There is. There's an everyman quality to him. And my theory on that for a lot of years was that he was, uh, cause he's from Chicago was that he's a Chicago Cubs fan. And I think he was, I think that every man, you know, he connected with everybody because he was so used to those Cubs losing every year. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, so people got identified, uh, with him. And, uh, the word that comes to mind with him is schlubby. He's kind of, he's kind of schlubby. He's, uh, he's definitely schlubby in this movie and, and no offense to him. He's, he's not, he's not pretty. He's not a pretty man. Um, but there's something real winning about him. And, uh, and he's, I mean, we're talking 40 years now that he's, he's, he's been around. Uh, what are some of your favorite just Bill Murray movies or, or I loved him in Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I I just love him in Ghostbusters. I think, I I think Ghostbusters is kind of the crown jewel in, in his filmography. Uh, but again, like I said, I'm a big fan of Groundhog Day. I think Groundhog Day is wonderful. He's, uh, you know, he's still relevant. He's working with Wes Anderson in movies like Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums and everything that Wes Anderson does. He's in, and he's a, he's a really neat guy too. And very eccentric like Aykroyd. And, um, you know, just Google him. You'll read all these stories about how he just pops up at places. You know, he seems like a real grounded guy though. He seems like he's pretty normal for the most part. And, uh, For for the most part. And, um, kind of naturally funny and and has a lot of humor about him but also has a lot of depth too and uh mm-hmm. and he brings a lot of different things to this. So like we said this was probably not the original movie that they were setting out to make. 
when they had to recast Belushi, yeah. but this movie is uh it's just okay, right? Yeah. It's a little it's a little okay. I mean, so I'm not disappointed with it. So. I'm 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 really I'm really not disappointed in it in it either. So uh you ready to get into it? Oh, let's get into it. it. So this is always put under the comedy section. So my question to you, Faith, is is this a comedy, a straight comedy? I wouldn't say straight comedy, no. I think there's a blend of comedy and fantasy and horror. I think it's all kind of intertwined. Definitely intertwined and intertwined seamlessly. Mm-hmm. It they This movie just works. Mm-hmm. And let me say that at, at the outset. This movie just absolutely works. Yeah, because watching this movie, there's never a moment where like, okay, this is full on comedy. So why is there something, you know, kind of scary happening? You laugh, you're freaked out. It works all together it yeah it definitely uh there's a great synergy i'm gonna mm-hmm. use a 50 cent word there synergy <laughs> working um the way i look at it is there are some very funny people in it i mean these guys these guys are fine everybody in the movie is very funny uh-huh. but we're talking about that kind of saturday night live pedigree and they're very funny but the characters in this movie are so well drawn that this comedy comes from the characters mm-hmm. and it's character-driven comedy, which we unfortunately, I don't think, see too much of these days. And, But the situation that they're in is absolutely horrifying, which, oh, yeah. which you know, it definitely earns its stripes as a, as a horror film. And as you said, I think fantasy, though, is also a really mm-hmm. good – because it's not quite sci-fi. No. But, but that fantasy realm, that the unknown, you know, right. that mystery of the unknown um, – so we would say that it's a comedy horror film. Yeah. I would I would like to throw this out that if you take the same movie, if you take the same situation, you you keep everything the same across the board, but you change the cast out and you put dramatic actors in. I really believe that this is a not only is it a completely different movie as it would be, mm-hmm. I think it's terrifying. Yeah. I think you could make this into an absolutely terrifying yeah, movie I agree. because it has Monsters and possession yes. and <laughs> and and Armageddon end of the world type right. things that are I happening. Know when I was watching, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like what's gonna happen? If uh, if you put a guy like Jeff Bridges from from '84 in it, and Jeff Bridges is a very funny guy, but uh, you put somebody like Jeff Bridges, and, and I'm trying to think of maybe some other, you know, the dramatic guys at that time, you know, guys like that, and maybe James Woods or somebody. It come becomes a completely different mm-hmm. movie and absolutely you could play it play it a little to the right it's more of a uh too too funny mm-hmm. if you play it a little to the left it's maybe too much of a of a horror film they play this right down the middle mm-hmm. and, and it's like you said seamlessly <laughs> it seem it's seamless. seamless yeah and they play it so right down the middle. I was thinking about this when we were getting ready to do the show. I saw this movie for the first time I was 5 years old. It didn't scare me. And looking at it now, that those dogs are kind of creepy. They really are. The possession <laughs> aspect is very creepy. The the uh, you know everything that happens in with Armageddon and Judgment Day, as they call it, is very scary. I was never scared of it when I was a kid. It did not keep me up at night. It was always funny, right. you know, because it was balanced out. But that brings up a really good point about this movie: is the tone of it, and it knows exactly what it is, and it never strays from it. Mm-hmm. It it it's always hitting that line right in the middle, and I think that's why this movie is such a classic and why people just keep going Absolutely. back to it. That's one of the reasons. 
The second reason I think that they keep going back to this movie is these characters. Oh, yeah. And these <laughs> characters are so well drawn. And I have some points I want to make about how they achieve this uh, on uh, on the page, how they how they do this in the construction. But let's talk about let's start with the three main guys. Let's start with Dr. Peter Venkman and your initial impression of Peter Venkman. At first, I was like, hmm, I don't know how I'm going to like this character. Like I said, I grew to. He's smarmy. <laughs> He's a wise ass. I know. He's a wise ass. That's why I love him. He's a wise ass. Did you get the idea when you were watching this movie? And, and they make it, I think they make it pretty clear, but... Maybe not so much like, did you get this idea? But let me just ask you as, mm-hmm. as a character question. Does he know what he's talking about at any point in this movie? I don't know. Probably not. He <laughs> he always seems like he uh, he he's the one that needs things explained uh-huh. to him. He should know what it is he's talking about. And that's, uh, like I said, we're going to get into the construction of this. But you know everything about this guy the first time you see mm-hmm. him when he's hitting on this co-ed. <laughs> He's proven his point. The ESP thing is working in his favor. He is he's he's actually proven it and he doesn't care because he's just trying to get with the girl. Yep. <laughs> and he's taking a little bit of sadistic pleasure in, in buzzing that guy right at the beginning. Um he's um would you say that he's maybe a little short on the brain side of things? Maybe. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. He's uh He's very funny though, but you did. So you said at first you were like, "Oh, I don't know if I'm gonna like this guy." Did you come yeah, to was, like Peter oh, yeah. Vinkman? Oh yeah, I love him. He's great. <laughs> so there we have Peter. Now let's talk about uh, the heart and soul of Ghostbusters. Raymond Stans, Doctor Raymond Stans, played by Dan Aykroyd. And what oh. were your impressions of Ray the first time you well, saw? I loved him, him instantly. <laughs> there is a uh, childlike quality yeah. about Ray, and he. I would say that Ray is probably the second smartest of the Ghostbusters. I think mm-hmm. Egon is probably yeah. the smartest. Um, and not because he wears glasses, just he's just smart. Um, so Ray, I think, would, would be the second. He's up there with Egon. Mm-hmm. But there's just this bubbling person, this bubbly thing about him. And so we're in this uh, laboratory with Peter Venkman and the co-ed. And first time we see Ray, Ray comes just bursting in Mm -hmm. and like a kit just all over the place all over the walls so uh as the movie went on did you uh did you get more affectionate toward ray that he did he he kind of you liked him immediately and and it stayed yeah he's he's he stayed like that i feel like he has this kind of um kind of cool quality to him towards the end he kind of oh that's the right word he um he's he's an interesting character because I look at him as kind of the linchpin between the Peter character and the Egon yeah. character. Because Ray is extremely intelligent, he's very smart, obviously knows what he's talking about, but he's also the guy that you see working on the car. There's yeah. a there's a blue collar thing to mm-hmm. him. And uh this is all leading somewhere with these guys. And so I see him as the linchpin. He's sitting in the middle of that trio. He's got the childlike wonder, but he's also the sci- he's got the scientific genius to to back it up. Right. Which then and then and there's the third member of our kind of lead trio, Dr. Egon Spengler, played by Harold Ramis. And just what are your thoughts on on Egon? I love him too. I think obviously, yeah, he is the smartest of the bunch. He knows what he's talking about. He's the leader in my, you know. I, he's the scientific yeah, guy. He's yeah. Just, 
if you need something explained to you, you're going to go That's to Egon. Or you might go to Ray, but Egon's going right. to going to definitely. I kind of look at their relationship. Egon's going to think it up, and Ray's going to build it. Yeah, you know that's that's yeah. the way that they they kind of work. Um, I think Egon is absolutely precious. Egon is the one that, as, as I get older, I, I really come to. I don't know if it's because I I've come to appreciate Harold Ramis more as I get older, but just the character of Egon Spengler, I really really love and adore. Um, what I like about these guys, and it really is the three of them. You know, it's the this trio. Um, is how they function together as a group. And what we just mm-hmm. said, you've got brains, heart, and then you've got whatever Peter is. <laughs> but uh, Dan Aykroyd described them as uh, from the Wizard of Oz as the uh, the lion, the scarecrow and the tin man. And I think it's a very, very kind of apt description mm-hmm. of them. It it reminds me in a way of Star Trek with McCoy, Kirk and Spock, mm-hmm. the way that they function together. And. I don't know if they're funny by themselves, but when you put these three people together in a room, it's very funny the yes. way that they operate. And they each kind of know their space and how to play right. in it. And it reminded me of uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars. And I've heard our buddy Harrison say this, that what he understood about that script and what George did, what George Lucas did so well was he really carved those characters out, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, and Han Solo established who they were and they each had their box to play in mm-hmm. and that's what makes that movie so much fun it's what makes classic drama so much fun it's what makes this movie so much fun and okay. i want to say something about the classics here because dan Aykroyd, um he's a guy that i think of because he grew up in the 50s he's one of the first uh he's part of the first generation that was raised on television so he was watching old television programs he was watching old movies and the way that those movies were constructed and the way that they drew characters in those days, this is a lot of what went into this, this story, the way that this was written. It's a lot of what went into their comedy writing on Saturday Night Live. Um, it's a classic forum. And unfortunately, I think we don't have enough of that I today. Totally agree. I, I don't, I can't remember names of characters in some of these movies. Me neither. And we talked about the Marvel movies a few weeks ago. I I don't know who all of the characters are sometimes in those movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know their names. And I'm not knocking on the Marvel movies. I, I like them very much. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, these guys, you know, these guys stick with you. Yeah, they, they're, they're fully formed characters. And they are just absolutely delightful. Did you like spending time with them when you were watching of this course. movie? Did you want to spend more time yeah, with them after the movie <laughs> was over, that, yes. right? <laughs> Um, so you have three really great lead characters played by three really great actors who, because of their training and their background, know how to work together. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of people think that this movie was, uh, improvised, couldn't be further from the truth. Everything was on the page. They went off of the page, but it was all there on the page. They knew what they were doing. They knew how these people worked and they knew how this, this thing was going to, uh, kind of function together. So, uh, so we've got our three main characters and this is all in the first 10 minutes of this movie, yeah. which is wonderful. And I, uh, I have a writing, I had a writing mentor named Rick Blackwood and Rick Blackwood was very fond of two things. He used to say that 
uh, when people would say, boy, they don't make movies like that anymore about a certain classic movie, he'd say, no, they never made them like that, <laughs> uh, which I think is kind of brilliant. Um, and he also stressed that when you watch a movie, really pay attention to the first 10 minutes of that movie, because the first 10 minutes are going to tell you everything you need to know about that movie. And if you're out there listening, if you're a writer, this is something to really think about is these first 10 minutes of the movie. And the way that it was explained to me uh, was to watch the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, what happens in the first 10 minutes of that movie, Faith? Indy goes into the temple. He gets the idol. The ball yeah. chases him. Uh, we meet Belloc, the protagonist. He runs away. He gets away. Then we see that he's teaching college. That's the first 10 minutes of that mm -hmm. movie. And as Rick was so fond of saying, he said, they feed you a whole lot of crap in that first 10 minutes <laughs> that you completely buy. And he says, if that first 10 minutes doesn't work, then at about minute 12 or 13, when they come to offer him the chance to go after the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, of course. Of course, he's going to go after the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, at the end, they're going to open it and the Spirit of God comes out and <laughs> But because that first 10 minutes works so well, the rest of the movie works. And if right. that, and if you don't buy that first 10 minutes, the rest of the movie doesn't work. Do you think this movie works? Oh, of course. This movie works. Of course. Works great. And it works great the entire movie. Exactly. So let's talk about the first 10 minutes. We were talking about the characters and what this movie does so well is establish them immediately. Mm -hmm. It establishes who they are, what they do, yeah. where they do it. And that gives them a spot to, to jump off from uh -huh. because they don't stay there very long. Uh, this is a, a classic screenplay construction. This is screenplay writing 101. And again, anybody out there who's studying this stuff, wants to study this stuff, not only look at your books, watch the movies, watch, watch how these things work. But let's talk about the first 10 minutes of the movie. Now, you hadn't seen this movie in a long time, right? Walk me through what you were thinking the first 10 minutes of the movie. Let's start with the library. Oh, I was sold instantly. Like, you know, you're pulled in instantly to that one scene. But watching the first 10 minutes, of course, like you said, if you're, if they're selling you a bunch of crap, you're lost, you're done with it. And I, I definitely wasn't watching the first 10 minutes. You know, like you said, who everybody is, what their place is in the movie. You're ready for the whole thing. Kind of see where it goes. They, um, what I like about the first, the very first scene in this movie is there's a couple of things we're going to talk about him in a minute. Elmer Bernstein, the guy who scored this thing, they get you at the Columbia logo mm -hmm. with that little, yeah, that, that little, yeah. uh, uh, I, I forget what it's called. It sounds like a theremin, but it's, a uh, kind of exotic instrument that they use. Uh, I think it's some kind of pipe keyboard, but, uh, absolutely wonderful music. And then it swells into that, in that, um, that dark ominous uh -huh. theme and you're looking and there's something that's very creepy about that lion statue sitting outside the <laughs> library. And then you're following this, this poor librarian and we're not with her a minute. I don't think uh -uh. in that mm -mm. completely silent, no words, just music and her walking and some, uh, as Ivan Reitman said, some special effects that are not very difficult to pull off. The music swells. She runs. You don't even see the ghost. Mm -mm. And it's kind of creepy. I know, it it's is. kind of it's kind of a creepy scene, and and then you're into uh, as we we've already gone over. You're into the Peter Vinkman uh, ESP scene. Mm -hmm. Then Ray comes in. They go to the library. They see Egon. 
You meet Egon in that moment. They go mm-hmm. down into the library. By the way, there's some really funny jokes along the way, too, uh, about St. Jerome and uh, <laughs> and asking Alice whether or not it, she is at the moment menstruating. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and it's all very, very, very funny. And a lot of those moments, uh, as we were talking about how gifted this cast is, were, were improvised. Mm-hmm. And you don't even realize it. I know. It does not come off as some of these modern movies do where the jokes just go on and mm-hmm. on and on and on. Um, masters of their craft, just, just doing their thing. So really, as we said at the beginning of this, is this a straight comedy? No, it's a horror comedy. And they establish it right Instantly. here in the first 10 minutes. Exactly. Um, do you feel that it tells you exactly what it's going to be? Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, I'm right there in it. I'm like, okay. Right. I get it, right? <laughs> and uh so let's let's talk and I was I mentioned uh my old mentor Rick Blackwood. Uh one of the other things he was very fond of saying and is what is this movie really about? And what is this movie about to you? I I see a lot of it's not like I think I told you all ago it's not um a slap in your face, but a lot of stuff about faith and faith religion stuff like that. Faith and science yeah. and uh I, I definitely see it as a story of these guys going in the business. Yeah. Um, I think that grounds it. Mm-hmm. I think people I can think identify so with that. I think that makes these characters who are, uh, they're into some, some out there stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they're de- in the movie. If you really think about it, it's kind of out there. It it's is. as we said, this is Ackroyd's brainchild. This is, this is, you know, this is nutty as a fruitcake and, uh, <laughs> and it all works too. That's what's b- beautiful about it. It mm-hmm. all works. But that real that story really grounds it. These guys um, starting a business, but the idea that was there at the beginning that they're janitors, that they're these kind of exterminators, it really helps that idea that there's these kind of schlubby put upon guys. They're mm-hmm. they're trying to make a living and they're busting ghosts. And I wanted to say this at the beginning. One of the things I absolutely adore about this movie is how nonchalant they are with the with the ghost. <laughs> they're just kind of. <laughs> Yeah, they just kind of walk in and see it. And they're like, "Oh, it's another d- right there." Like, okay, it's another day at the office, yeah. right? <laughs> it's, I, I like I said, there's so much about this movie that I absolutely love. I, I love what's on the screen. I love what's going on behind the uh, behind the scenes too. And, um, I, I definitely, I'm with you on that. I think that it's a, uh, you know, uh, science and and faith. Mm-hmm. It's it's business. And I think all of it just kind of makes these guys the underdogs and makes you just root for root for them. You want them, exactly. you want them to, to succeed. You want them to, to bust the ghost and you want Peter Vinkman to get the girl. I mean, that's <laughs> who is completely, uh, completely out of his league. So we, uh, we talked about Elmer Bernstein for a minute here. And, uh, I liked, I like to talk about movie scores. I know you love, you know, we both just absolutely adore music. Um, what did you think about the score for this? Oh, I think it was wonderful. I think it fit perfectly. If Elmer Elmer Bernstein uh, is one of those top guys, he uh, he won an Academy Award. I can't remember what he won that Academy Award for right now, but he uh, he had a very long career. He's one of those guys we talked about film music, and some guys get it, some right. some don't. He got it. He knew. He knew how to exactly. how to score a film, what a film needed, and what the individual needs of each film uh, was. 
he famously, uh, again, we're going to go back to Animal House again. He scored Animal House, and he gave that movie something that is absolutely amazing because it was his idea, I believe, to score it as a serious film. Because if you listen to the music in Animal House, it is absolutely serious. <laughs> there, It's like you're listening to a drama, you know? <laughs> And and it's underplaying these guys who you know are about to get kicked out of camp, kicked off a of campus for drinking beer. Uh, listen to uh, going back to Belushi. Listen to the scene where Belushi talks about the Germans bombing Pearl Harbor and what Elmer Bernstein is doing under that. And his Faber College theme is absolutely beautiful too. Uh, I think he scores the hell out of this movie. I think I don't know that this movie works without this great score from him. Mm -hmm. And it is big in places. It's, it's tiny in places. It's loud and, and it's quiet. And it, um, not only does it have a, a really kind of throwback theme, that main theme of there is that, uh, bum, 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 which plays throughout that entire mm -hmm. score. There's a really beautiful, uh, theme for Sigourney Weaver's character, Dana, uh, which I just, I, I like. And, um, just the little incidental sounds that yeah. he uses are are really great. I I think it's a great score. I think so too. And there was also another piece of music in the movie that uh, went to number one <laughs> on the Billboard charts in 1984. That is the Ray Parker Jr. Yes. theme song. And I don't know uh, how much you love that. <laughs> I I like I like the song. Do you, what do you think of the song? I like it. I'm not going to say it's my favorite. Oh, I, I like it. You know, I said earlier that that this is one of those things where where the nostalgia blinders aren't on. You know, it, it right. the nostalgia blinders are completely on when I hear the Ghostbusters theme song, and I and I fully admit no, I, it. I, yeah, I get that completely. Um, there was uh, there was a little. We were talking about uh, Huey mm -hmm. earlier. There was a little controversy with the song. Uh, Huey Lewis and the News did take them to court because they claimed that it sounded a lot like "I Want a New Drug," and then there was some. Some guff with they had approached Huey, Huey about doing the theme and they politely, you know, declined. And but then <laughs> the theme comes out and it kind of sounds like a Huey Lewis song. I they settled out of court. Nobody's talked bad about anybody. This, you know, used to be, you know, they could do this like gentlemen. <laughs> um, I, I think it, I think it's a, I think it's a good pop song. Uh, you know what I like most about it what? is how he constructed that because it's like a jingle. Yeah. Uh, I, I think true. <laughs> I think it's just I think for a song about a business that deals with busting ghosts, it's probably the best song that they could have come up with. Was it the song inspired by a jingle? It was or in a commercial. Indeed, it was a uh, it was an ad for plumbers. That's it. <laughs> yes, yes, Faith. Can I ask you a question? Sure. And by the way, these cake balls are delicious. Oh, thank by you. the way. Uh, did you Wikipedia this movie? Oh, I researched it. For you me. researched it front and back, didn't you? <laughs> yes. So um, we were talking about the structure of this thing. So we've got the first 10 minutes. We know what this movie's about. Mm -hmm. We have the tone. We have the characters. And then right at the same time, we have two inciting incidents. For all you screenplay people out there, the inciting incident is what sets the plot on its merry way. We have two inciting incidents that happen right uh, next to each other. And that is the guys get fired and decide to go into business for themselves. And then we meet another character who's going to kind of carry through the rest of the movie. And that is Dana Barrett played by Sigourney Weaver. Now 
We talked a little bit about Sigourney Weaver last week when we did our Mount Gushmore, and we still have not come up with our final tallies. And Ghosts and Goblins, you're in this too. Guess what? What? She could be put on it. We're putting Sigourney on? Because of this movie. When we go to break, <laughs> we'll figure out what the order is, but you heard it here. Sigourney you Weaver. heard it here first. Is being voted one of the <laughs> Mount Gushmore final girls. Um, I know. You don't have to go into detail. I know you're not a huge fan of Sigourney Weaver. No, but I'm adding her to the list because I loved her in this movie. What did you like about Sigourney Weaver in this movie particularly? I, I really don't know what it was exactly about her. I don't know. She just was, she stood out to me in a way. I feel like there's a, Ivan Reitman, uh, I said earlier, he directed a movie called Draft Day with Kevin Costner and Jennifer Garner. And that is an absolutely wonderful movie. It's actually one of the best movies I've seen in the past 10 years. It's very good and and kind of flew under the radar. And uh, 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 Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman is in it. There's a great cast in that movie. On the making of for that movie, he talked about, and Ivan Reitman is a musician. I uh, don't know what his skill set is, but he knows music and is very appreciative of music and can talk musical terms, which is which is always great. Uh, he said when he was casting draft day, Kevin Costner is very, uh, legato in his delivery. So he's very smooth. It's very, it's, it's very just a straight line mm -hmm. and he needed someone to play against him. He cast Dennis Leary because he wanted staccato kind of 16th notes against him. These guys in this movie, the whole cast has a musicality to it. And you've got kind of the the steady Aykroyd, mm -hmm. uh, Bill Murray. I guess he's kind of staccato, you know, uh, kind of staccato. She she brings another kind of texture to the sound because there's a real kind of strength to her in yeah. this movie. There's um, she's actually put together. There's yeah. a there's a real like I said. There's kind of a, a strength to her. I get the idea again, going back to how well this movie draws characters. I get the idea from her right at the beginning that this is not a woman who would hallucinate seeing something in her refrigerator. And this right. is not a woman who is prone to overreacting. Exactly. And to see her then kind of thrown into that situation uh, really kind of makes it, you know, I think it helps the stakes. Yeah. And I think she's very pretty. And I can see how Dr. Peter Vinkman would fall head over heels for her. Uh, what did you think about the way that she pulled off the dual role? Cause it's, it's really a dual role because yeah. she not only plays Dana Barrett, but she plays the gatekeeper. Yeah. It's a little unexpected. When <laughs> very, un very unexpected because I don't want to say that she was vanilla when she was, uh, Dana. Right. But she's just, she's mild. She's just there and, but she still stands out. But then it's like, whoa, okay. It, <laughs> it comes out the play. It does. <laughs> It really, and she, um, the word I think of when I see her in this movie, especially when she shows up in the red dress and the, and the makeup <laughs> is, uh, there's, there's a sultriness to her. Yeah. There's, 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 uh, and again, as a kid, I didn't get the idea like, oh, the sex appeal of this, right. but just very, very sultry. And, uh, I think she really, she really pulls it off. I I really think she pulls off the scene. She sells it. She's really good with horror. She's really good with yeah. these kind of things, with reacting to things. Uh, the scene with the chair, when when the chair comes to life mm -hmm. and, and drags her into the kitchen, she's very good in that. Uh, I think she's a great actress. I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers. I think, she, I think 
this is probably. I, I mean, I don't hate her, but this movie puts her there for me. She, I I think this is my favorite thing that she's she, yeah, she, that she's she done steals it for because me. she is very funny in it too when she she's is. possessed. Uh, <laughs> and she said this is part of the reason why she did the movie was because she was not getting offered comedies because of the whole alien you know, oh. thing and all this. Makes but uh, she's she's really wonderful. I think. Um, you know, I don't want to get into who could have done this. Maybe our old pal Jamie Lee Curtis could have done this too. I don't know, but I have trouble seeing anybody else playing playing this role, and I have trouble seeing anybody else in the movie outside of outside of these people who, who we got in it. Um, so before we go to break, let's talk about real quick some of the other supporting performances in the movie. Rick Moranis. Oh, he's awesome. <laughs> Uh, Lewis Tully, the, uh, the, uh, swinging accountant that lives next door across the hallway from Dana Barrett. Um, does he steal the movie for you? Oh yeah. Of course he does. <laughs> he, he, he steals the movie for me. Um, I think Rick Moranis in this movie, it's a virtuoso performance. I really do. And, uh, you, you have a favorite scene of his, don't you? Is I like it at his party. The party That's scene. Part. Yeah. And uh, that scene was, was apparently completely improv. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, I don't. The part was originally offered to John Candy, and, and John Candy, God bless him, you know, rest in peace, John. I love John Candy. You know, we were talking about I, the great yeah, outdoors. I, I could have seen it. He he but, apparently didn't get it. He didn't understand it uh, the way it was because he was written. I think a lot more mild manner. Just he was an accountant, and uh, John Candy wanted to play him like with a German accent and, and hmm. dogs and things and. Uh, and then John politely declined and, and, uh, sometimes you get the right person in the role. Rick Moranis, <laughs> Rick Moranis, I think said he was going to play him as a geek and he, perfect. he, he damn sure did play him as a geek. I think that might be the best geek ever put on screen. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about the musicality. He has a, he's like a jazz drummer. He's rat-a-tat-tat. <laughs> oh, gee, daddy, I really didn't want to cry. Yeah, I'm going to try to get on the ledge. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite part with them? Oh gosh, um, I do this too much on the show. I, I say all of them too much. Um, I uh, I like the scene where he's running on the street, just when he's out running the street, and it's like something out of an old monster movie, like The yeah. Wolfman or something. But um, when Egon and Janine are interviewing him, when he ends up at the firehouse and, uh, I think my favorite part is when Janine offers him coffee and, uh, and he, and he kind of looks over at Egon and says, you know, coffee, you know, yes, have some, yes, have some, <laughs> which, which also, uh, gets into one of my favorite lines in the movie too. Um, uh, when Janine tells Egon in that same scene, like, you are so nice to help that man. I don't think he's human. <laughs> he, uh, Rick Morant, just the whole, everything that he did in that movie was, so great. was, was funny. <laughs> even up until the end, the poor guy, he did, they didn't even let him go in the car. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, that scene, and I absolutely adore the party scene. I think when he just walks and when he dances, <laughs> He's uh he's he's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Mine he, too. <laughs> he's he's brilliant. And again, uh as we said, this movie is pretty much perfect and um <laughs> I I couldn't see anybody else playing even the great John Candy. I couldn't see doing this yeah. better than his buddy Rick Moranis. And Rick Moranis, again as we talk about these guys working together has a tie with Harold Ramis 
because Harold Ramis wrote for a TV show that Rick Moranis was on called SCTV. And so there's a tie there. And these, these guys, a knew what they were doing, but B they knew how to do Uh it. That's, that's the (laughs) other thing. Um, so there's uh there's Lewis Tully who's an absolutely wonderful <laughs> character in this. Uh let's talk about uh one of Oh wait. Wait, we're getting a phone call. Oh. Uh Faith, do you want to take a phone call? Let's go for it. All right, against my better judgment, we we really shouldn't be doing this, but uh let's go ahead and take a phone call. You are on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio with the Late Night Fright. How are you tonight? Yeah, hey guys, it's Bobby. How you guys doing? Hey, Bobby. <laughs> Faith is Bobby, host hey, of Afterglow, Bobby. the show that comes on after the late night fright. Yeah, how you guys doing? Faith, how's up with you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing real good, real good. Uh, sorry about that pig blood thing last week at the prom. You know, I'm glad you know they would get everything cleaned up and That's you know nothing right. stained and all that. You know, but uh, but you're doing good, huh? Yeah, I'm doing good. Apparently, you're doing good enough to make cake balls, huh? Yeah. And I, I, Robert Englund ain't even on the show, is he? No, he's not. Bobby, man, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, we kind of got caught, didn't we? Yeah, well, what's the obsession with the cake balls, Bobby? I I don't know. Faith, I don't know what the obsession <laughs> is. You know, Bobby, what is the what obsession? Is uh, they are delicious. You make them with love, and that is the secret ingredient. You got a lot of love in you, Faith. They are so good. I crave them. Let me tell you something. I'm not happy with you guys right now because, you know, I wanted some cake balls. But apparently, you know, I wasn't good enough. All the crap we've been through, you know, for, for the past couple of weeks. And I don't get no cake balls. Do you want some that I have here? Bobby, um, we were going to wait to tell you when you yeah. got here. Um, she actually made you some. Yeah. You made me some cake balls? <laughs> I did. Bobby, they're they're sitting in there in your booth, man. They got your name on them and everything. You better get down here and get them before Jeff Fanghorn yeah, takes them. I thought them. you were going to be here tonight, so I made them for you. Man, I was calling you guys to ring you out. I love you guys. We yeah. love you too. Well, I'm uh, I'm on my way down. I'm finishing up some things. Hey, me and my good friend Robbie, we was down at the gym doing some hammer curls. But uh, you know, we done with that. We're gonna be down there in a bit, and uh. Faith, I, I swear, you, you, you're my prom queen, Faith. You're my prom queen. I'm sorry, guys. I did not mean to be so mean about the cake balls. I'll see you guys in a bit. Well, it went from tragedy to triumph for Bobby. <laughs> Faith, the phone is ringing again. Do you want to get, should we get this before we go to break? Go for it. All right. You are on WKMF Cozy Corner with the Late Night Fright. How's it going? Hello, Dan. Hello, Faith. It is I, Antoine Duplass. Psychic. Faith, I have a question for you. All right, what you got? How is it that you could give a couple of Neanderthals like Dan and Bobby cake balls because of all the bad things that they've been through and the entire town has been going through. These bad things, I don't think that's very nice of you, first. Well, I apologize, but, you know... Apology not accepted. And do you want to know what hurts worse? 
What? Out of all of this. What is it? That I, Antoine Duplass, like it, didn't see this one coming. Hmm. Antoine Duplass out! Oh, boy. Well, Faith, I, uh, yeah, at least it's not weird tonight. Right. <laughs> right. But uh, I hope we don't have something big on our hands here. We shall see. Well, we are going to take a break. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And you're listening to The Late Night Fright. We will see you on the other side. Douglas here of the Cozy Cafe. Come on down to the Cozy Cafe for all your coffee and pastry needs. And if you, Cozy Corner, can get Robert England on the Late Night Fright Radio Show, the cafe will gladly offer you cake balls. We just need your help. But until then, come try our Boris Brew, guaranteed to wake you up and keep the booger man away. Or come in and try our signature Eggs Benedict Cumberbatch. Never know who will drop in to the Cozy Cafe, located on Guilford Road, next to the Kruger Knife Works store. We hope to see you soon. This is Bobby, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. If you are getting it on, thinking about getting it on, or perhaps have just gotten it on, then Afterglow is the show for you. Join me as I play the best classic soul and R&B slow jams. My show is responsible for having made more babies than any show in the history of shows. Fact. My show is also responsible for having played the 1972 Tower Power classic Still a Young Man more than any show in the history of shows. Fact. Come get it on with me, Bobby, every Friday night after the late night fright. Afterglow. Love that, Bobby. Yeah, I know. WKMF cannot verify the validity of any claims made by Bobby, but we do urge you to listen to his show. Faith, uh, I think we might be in trouble tonight. I think Jeff Fanghord may have uh, may have poked the bear a little bit. We might want to hurry up and and get. Oh, the phone is ringing again. The phone is ringing. Hello, you are on the late night fright. WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Well, hey there, Dan and Faith. This is uh, old Ross Roberts, host of uh, What I'm Looking At. You know, that show that comes on uh, after uh, Todd Wick's uh, Holy Smoke show there on uh, Sunday mornings. How are you kids doing? We're doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah, Ross, how's everything going? Oh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, uh, let me, let me tell you, kids, what I'm, let me tell you what I'm looking at right now. Um, I'm looking at coming down there and kicking your asses. Uh, Faith, how can you give him cake balls but not sell them in the store? Because he's a friend. He was having a tough time. Uh, I'm having a tough time too. 
too, Faith. Uh, let me tell you something else I'm looking at. I'm looking at 90 days in jail because someone didn't like the way that I looked at them. And, you know, uh, just because they uh, saw me uh, doesn't mean I was stalking them. Uh, you know, I'm having a tough time, too. I could use some cake balls, too, Faith. Did you, did you make me some cake balls? I did not. And that's why I'm looking at going down there and kicking your ass. And let me tell you something else. A lot of other people are heeding Jeff Fanghorn's warning. Oh, we're coming for you, Dan and Faith. Oh, we're coming. We want our cake balls. I'm terrified. Me too. We'll be right back.